0: I wanna welcome you to Todd Talks sponsored by the Truett Church Network. Today, our special guest is Dr. Charlie Dates. Dr. Dates is the senior pastor of Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Dates uh, holds the Bachelor of Arts from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where he majored in speech communication and rhetoric. Dr. Dates then went on to earn the Masters of Divinity as well as the PhD in Historical Theology from the uh, Trinity uh, Evangelical Divinity School outside of Chicago. Uh, Dr. Dates is an author. He's contributed to Letters in the Birmingham Jail, uh, an an edited volume, as well as Say It, celebrating expository preaching in the African-American tradition. And Dr. Dates is working on a volume on Christianity and Social Justice that will be published by InterVarsity Press. In addition to his ongoing and pressing responsibilities at Progressive Baptist Church, Dr. Dates serves as an affiliate professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, as well as on a number of boards for Christian organizations, including Preaching Magazine and Together Chicago. Dr. Dates is a much in demand. Teacher and preacher. In fact, during this time frame, today and tomorrow, he is a part of the national preaching conference that Truett Theological Seminary, under the auspices of the Kyle Lake Center for Effective Preaching, is hosting. Dr. Dates is married to Christy, and they have two children, Charlie Edward Dates, the second, and Claire Elizabeth Dates. Charlie, I'm delighted uh, that you are with us. Thank you. Uh, for taking the time to, to 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 be with us this morning.
1: Thank you for having me, Dr. Todd.
0: So, Charlie, um, the 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 question that we're all asking one another these days is is how are you doing? How's your family? How how is the church family? How are you all coping with COVID?
1: Well, thank you so much for asking that question. First, our family as well, Kirstie and uh, Charlie and Claire. Are thrust into homeschooling, not a life we anticipated, uh, but one that uh, Kirsty jokes and says she's the hall monitor. You know, we're seeing the kids outside of their computers and saying, "Get back where you're supposed to be at this moment." And so we're grateful for the grace, really, that we have the technology and the uh, hardware to be able to to do it. It's not ideal, but but we're grateful nonetheless. Our church is holding on. The church is going to win. We we know that. But by the end of the book, it's the Lord's church. He gave himself for her. And so we just will adapt and adjust. We have not met in person, Dean Todd, except for one time outside this summer. So we left kind of abruptly the second Sunday in March. That's been tough. But Uh, We are finding that there are far more people watching our services than we're attending in person, and we have a broader reach. um, So the harvest really is ripe. I I think, if anything, the Lord is showing us that there's great opportunity beyond our walls and even beyond our city, beyond our neighborhood. So that's moving along. Just in a staff meeting, talking about how we can – Uh, be a blessing to the children in our neighboring schools. If our city goes on a shutdown and the stores, the department stores close and that kind of thing, it's going to make Christmas shopping and Thanksgiving food and all of that a a bit harder for families. So our church is finding creative ways to step into the gap Mm -hmm. and to bring compassionate gospel centered ministry that meets the misery that a lot of people are facing these days. So we're holding on.
0: Yeah. So in Chicago right now, Charlie, uh, is there a um, a shelter in place? Do you all anticipate one?
1: So we are under a, st- a stay-at-home advisory, okay. which is one step under the mandate. When it first came down in March, it was a mandate, and so I, I most of us feel like it's uh, we're steps away from a mandate. So it's it on one hand. Um, the numbers rising the way that they are, we need to take the necessary actions to get them down so that we save lives, quite frankly. Um, But on the other hand, you know, a lot of revenue is made this time of year for a lot of people. And so our mentality has been, we know how to resurrect the economy. We don't know how to resurrect the dead. So it's, uh, we'd rather people be alive than, than to focus on money. And, and yet without money, uh, the very real challenges that already exist are augmented. And so we, we're we stuck between what we know we should do, what we got to do and, and what we want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Has there been a spike uh, in uh, diagnosed cases and in hospitalizations in Chicagoland, Charlie, of late?
1: Oh, yeah. I think this past weekend, our positivity rate was up 15%. Oh, my uh, God. And it, actually, I know it is because um, it's about one in every five or six people okay. uh, have it. And so uh, it's it, you just start counting people <laughs> when you get in the room. And, and our hospitals have been, they're not maxed out. Thank right. God for that. But a lot more people are there. And I will say this, this time around, Dean Todd, I know more people who have it mm-hmm. than I did the first time. Mm -hmm. and some families, like whole families at our church have it, and and friends and other networks around us, and so it's ringing with Mm -hmm. a kind of piercing familiarity right now.
0: Mm. Well, one of the one of the words that we're using these days, Charlie, more than we've ever used it before was pivot uh, oh, or okay. is pivot. I you know, pivot is what I used to do in basketball. Coach told me to pivot <laughs> yeah. we're, we're using pivot differently. so let's pivot. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, this, this is a positive thing. Hey, Charlie, uh, share with those uh, who are joining us today about your early years in, in, in the faith, uh, in, including your call to ministry. I know that many will be encouraged to, to hear your story. So share, share some of it with us.
1: Man, I had a delightful childhood. I was raised in a loving home. My story's a lot like Timothy's, where the faith that dwelt in my mother, my grandmother, lives in me. That isn't to say that I inherited their faith, oh, because I do own it. But it is to say I was nurtured in an environment where people genuinely believed that Jesus was God's son and that God would make a way. I was also uh, privileged to be educated at the Mount Calvary Christian Academy and then at the Salem Christian Academy, two elementary schools owned and operated by black churches on the south side of Chicago. Hmm. And so there was no uh, distinction made between faith in God and science in the world. That hmm. That is to say that we did not elevate science per se, but we studied science from the lens of scripture and God's creation. And I remember, you know, at uh, our math lessons, I see this in my mind, at the top of the book, at the top of the page on at the beginning of every lesson, there was a scripture, and we used this curriculum called the Abeka curriculum. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I was, so I was nurtured, in. I was, I was raised, the garden of my soul was watered with the word. Uh, as I matriculated. So I came to faith early in life and was thinking about this the other day. I don't have one of those testimonies where, you know, my life went down this path and that path. And then there was some uh, amazing, miraculous thing that, that caught me and rescued me from that that regard. My story is the amazing, miraculous preserved me and kept me from a lot of things that I could have got in. And, and so... Um, in that regard, I count myself blessed. Mm-hmm. I felt called to preach Dean Todd early on in life. Oh, I, I, my son is nine now. I had to be a bit younger than him. Uh, right. when, when I was, I was convinced that I was called to preach. And the reason I say it this way is that the pastor of our church, he, he joked about it. He, my mom passed away this summer. He came to speak at her Sorry. funeral. And he, he said, you know, uh, I couldn't shake Charlie, you know, as church was over, he would come and he would pull on my coattail and tell me he was ready to preach and that kind of thing. And so I'm grateful, low these many years later, to be a witness and a testimony that God really does call some people early. And and I responded. And that, and so my life, the trajectory of my life started to bend from childhood through high school and college to full-time pulpit ministry and pastoral ministry.
0: Amazing. My story is not dissimilar, but I want to ask you, Charlie, um, so having um, grown up attending um, elementary schools uh, uh, sponsored by African-American churches, Uh, you find yourself at uh, a seminary taking your master's of divinity on the one hand and your PhD on the other that are are largely uh, Anglo. So what what was it like uh, to be uh, studying at a seminary that's largely Caucasian, white, as um, an African-American student? Any reflections upon that?
1: I didn't know any better. Um, (laughs) in the best way. So when I was a a student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, I was a part of a campus ministry called um, Faith. And Faith was actually a subsidiary. It had become a subsidiary of the impact movement, which was like the African-American national campus ministry born out of campus crusade. And and during that time, I, I learned of seminaries because I started to see other students who were who felt called to ministry were going to seminaries. They were going to some great schools. I was going to go to Yale, and so I applied to Yale, and I got in, and the Yale Divinity School, that is, uh, and I was on my way to New Haven. And one weekend, I was home, and serendipitously, providentially, the man preaching at our church that Sunday as is a man named Dr. Dwight Perry. Dr. Perry is the first African-American PhD out of Trinity. And he basically was the bridge that God used to get me to Trinity. So I I wasn't really aware to be honest with you of what evangelicalism from a cultural context within a predominantly white space was. Um, I, I did, so I, that's what I mean when I say I, I didn't know. Yeah. The the tenets of of faith, the high view of scripture, the high Christology, mm. none of that was foreign to me. Uh, right. those, those were all things that were baked into my theological formation as a child. So the, the black spaces out of which I come and where I serve, they know evangelicalism without the word yes. evangelical. They just know it as Christianity. That, uh, this is what it is to follow Christ. We believe God's word. And we know that Jesus is the only way to the father. We may differ on a few other pieces, but I mean, that's the beauty of evangelicalism. Yes. White evangelicalism is something altogether different. Mm. And I think we're seeing some of that now in the fallout of our culture, even this year, um, and the polarization between uh, some white churches and pastors and black churches and pastors around social cultural things. So what was it like at Ted's? It was odd being, you know, one of six or seven African-American students in my, in my class, maybe a 10 in my school mm-hmm. um, at, at the time that I was matriculating through, you know, Ted's isn't a very large uh, academic community, but that, that was odd. The, the instruction was not Odd, but the cultural interpretation of it was. And that's where I started to bud, I think, as a as a scholar. It was in the tension and in the response and reaction to the interpretation mm. of what was being taught. Mm. I, have, I had a number of wonderful professors. One of them is uh, Dr. Peter Cha. Mm. And Peter Cha did a PhD at, at Northwestern and undergrad at the University of Chicago. He's a trained sociologist, brilliant man. And he offered a course called uh, Social and Cultural Exegesis. And his class filled up the first 10 minutes registration open. So you had to wait until you were an upperclassman to get into that class. And what Dr. Cha uh, taught was we r- we really do come to different uh, points of destination in theological formation, understanding how doctrine is formulated and the relationship between doctrine based upon who's doing the work. Um, and he brought sociological data. He did not, you know, reduce the the yeah. biblical truth, yeah. Yeah. but he, he brought sociological data. And what I found was I thrived in that class environment. Some of my white peers did not. It It was the first kind of point of dissonance or disequilibration for many of them. But I would sit in that class and go, hey, this is like what my whole experience here <laughs> in, in one sense has, has been like. And so Dr. Chaj just very gracefully and, and wonderfully uh, made connections for us. And so from our church history classes to how we interpreted the New Testament and worked in application and preaching to preaching style. You know, I, I'd be preaching in, in my preaching labs and some of my peers would be like, well, you know, you're too loud or, you know, you are uh, this, or your illustrations are that. And I just say, you know, let's get out of here and see whose preaching works better. Um, and, and that, that wasn't a, that wasn't a challenge, but what I knew, what I knew is that the Academy can just make widgets, you know, if we're not careful. And, and there's a broader cultural landscape that makes the preacher and pastor that refines the preacher and pastor outside of the Academy. And I had the gift of that. So the, the, to sum it up, it would be, I I had to learn a lot about them in, in their school, but they did not have to learn a lot about me. And now that we're out, um, Oh my, I bet you they wish, they had to learn a lot more about me and a lot more about the world outside Mm. of their Mm. kind of white enclave Mm. and that's that's no shot but it's just yeah it is what it is and so I man I'm so blessed like I'm afraid sometimes I'm so blessed I'm so blessed because I know Jesus and I love Jesus and I have no um and nobody can take that from me and and at the same time, I can turn in to context that say they know Jesus and love Jesus and mm-hmm. tell them the truth with no fear of contradiction. Mm-hmm. I, I get to be fully black, fully alert, fully alive, don't have to relinquish any of my person and be proud of the Christian tradition
0: yeah.
1: out of which African Americans come. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm just saying, I really am, man. I'm a blessed man. Mm-hmm. And there's a young rapper around here who says, um, "I wish I could take my life and merch it. Uh, it it's a way. I wish I could turn my <laughs> life into merchandise." It, it. I I really am fortunate, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Most fortunate um, to to be in the space at this critical time in American history and world history.
0: Yeah. And Charlie, we're fortunate that you're speaking into it, and grateful to know you. Um, I'm, I, I, had read that you traveled 88 miles to go to church when my you my. were studying at Trinity. So that's yeah, why I ask you that question. Yeah. That, that's rather a commute, my friend.
1: Yeah. 88 um, miles one way. Yes. Sir. Yeah.
0: So, you know, Charlie, I, I, we have other questions and I've, I've, I've put these in front of you and I want to get to them, but I, I want to follow up on, um, your observation that, um, why evangelicalism is altogether different. And I want to ask a broader question. Um, as um, Is is the word evangelical to be mothballed? Is it the best we have? How do we rehabilitate it? Uh, can it be preserved? Thoughts, musings on that?
1: The word isn't going anywhere. Yep. It's a beautiful word. But the yep. reason the word isn't going anywhere is, is because of where the word came to us from. Yep. I mean, euangelion yep. is the biblical uh, lexicon, so yep. to speak, for good news. Yep. So the problem with it, just to make the question, to, to give you my answer, to make it, it clear, is the, um, oh man, I have a bad word uh, for it, but but it is the Americanization of the word, that's essentially yep. what okay. what it is. Yep. Yep. So, a lot of scholars, some will refute, try to refute me here, but you know, you can look from the colonial Edwardsian uh, New Divinity School, trace your way from Puritan work to some kind of fundamentalism, and from fundamentalism, you can make your way into uh, evangelicalism. So, so that evangelicalism or evangelical became kind of the sexy fundamentalism. It, it yeah. had the cultural appeal. It yeah. tried to pull away from some of the rigid facets of fundamentalism. It didn't want to be Bob Jones. It wanted to be Billy yeah. Graham, you know? Yeah. So yeah. There, there's a sense in which uh, all of that carries baggage with it. And I'm with N.T. Wright in this regard. Yeah. I, it's, it's a great word. We just need to take it back. Yeah. We, we need to show what it really is. And the way that I was introduced to the term, dean todd is there is wide breadth within evangelicalism so that those who claim to be right left or center there's there's a broader umbrella within there because we don't have it all figured out yep what has happened is a certain facet of evangelicalism has tried to take the term and mark it as as its own when i i don't think that's that's what it is uh so yes it's a term that we should still use yes i think it can be rehabilitated it just needs to fall from the lips of the right people but as long as it's in the media as a kind of right-wing republican uh view then yeah, that's that's not what it is that's not what it is and i heard I'll, I'll go on record saying this i heard a very popular black pastor um making fun of black pastors who are Evangelicals. He he called, uh, and he wasn't talking about me, but he called them blackface evangelicals. I think it's very unfortunate mm. use of language. Uh, mm. And what I wanted to say to him was, your dad is an evangelical in his theology. Our our fathers and mothers. Mm within African-American Christianity are largely evangelical in their convictions mm. and try to take me to task to prove me wrong. The The average grassroots church in my research in Chicago knew, believed in the Trinity, kn- mm-hmm. knew that Jesus was the only way to the father and took the Bible to be the word of God. Yes. But I think what that pastor is getting at is the kind of whitewashing of the term and the, um, the, lack of compassion mm. associated with groups who identify publicly mm. with the term mm. and the the margin the subsequent marginalization that has come to ethnic minorities by those who who claim to be Christian who claim that term and mm. so we just got to wrestle it back in one sense by doing more ministry in that name
0: yeah yeah it, it's 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 been politicized and polarized. You know, I don't know, Charlie, I'm sure, you know,
1: uh, Bevington's um, Evangelical. Father. Yeah, I man, I met him, by the way, down this hall from your office right there. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, the, the, the thing
0: is, it, it seems to me, Charlie, that this kind of uh, raises, I mean, some commitments, some convictions that um, can help uh, yeah. bring evangelicals together around. Conversion around cruciformity, around a high view yeah. of Scripture that, in the quadrilateral, gets biblicism label, uh, and and what you've been saying, uh, social conscience, yeah. social concern, social activism. So it's not simply a state of confessions that uh, are divorced from uh, uh, acting justly, loving sure. mercy, walking humbly. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Charlie, um, I've been blessed to hear you preach uh, not only in person but also um, uh, online. Like many others, what a what a message I can't breathe was! My heavens, wow. that just went <laughs> that went viral in my own life. Wow. So, so thank you for that. Uh, but where did you develop your love for expository preaching, and who are some that have? have shaped you and molded you uh, along the way. Now, even as you are shaping and molding others,
1: well, that's a that's a thought right there that I am possibly shaping and molding others. My you goodness. <laughs> um, you know, let me let me say this. Baylor holds a special place in, in my heart. I told my wife this morning I was interviewing with the dean. I didn't tell her that it was a it was a Zoom interview. I was like, dear, I'm I'm actually gonna go for a job at Baylor. Well, well, she's we like, oh make no it one of those if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'd be in big trouble trying to move us right now from Chicago to Waco, but 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 I think. I, as I think about Baylor, this is where I was going. I think yeah. about Joel Gregory. Yeah. Um, I think about Ralph West. Yeah, um, These are influential, incredible figures. But before them uh, comes another Texan, B.J. Tatum, uh, who pastors the Canaan Baptist Church in my college town. He's He's been there for a long, long time. Craig Scott Brown, uh, mm. who's at the... Uh, Bethany Baptist Church in Jamaica Queens, New York, mm-hmm. and um, K. Edward Copeland, uh, who is at the New Zion Baptist Church in Rockford, all top tier expositors, mm-hmm. and and Donald Parson, who just kind of made preaching—I uh, I, don't—it's magical uh, in in his when it's in his hands. So I I came to love exposition from sitting under don't I don't mean this derogatorily, uh, sitting under ordinary pastors who just labored in that regard every week yeah. yeah you know it was it was a I was actually pushed when I started preaching to think exegetically that's when I learned the difference between eisegesis and exegesis eisegesis and exegesis was was I was about 16 or 17 and was being taught that the idea of the sermon needs to come from mm. the idea of the passage and that the argument, the logos of the sermon, so to speak, needs to come from the argument of the passage. And there's a claim here to be made. And so it from my early beginning, I was convinced that that was the way. And then I came to hear of E.K. Bailey mm. and Believe it or not, Paul Shepard um, and A. Lewis Patterson. Hmm. Uh, I, I came to hear of of Maurice Watson. Yep. And yep. Um, my 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 world, my categories were were blown because these were people who were doing exposition with excitement too. You know, they they were varied in their their voice, and and so uh, I I came to love preaching from listening to faithful preachers who love preaching and it came across in their preaching. And this is one of the beauties I think of African American preaching too is and this isn't just of African American preaching but it, it it is in this regard well explained in my opinion it's both art and science. Yes. And and it's kind of like jazz in that you know there's structure in there but the preacher's playing, you know, in and around it. Uh, in ways. And so I do, I am not, I'm haunted by a preaching voice in my head that I've not caught yet. I know it's there and and I, and I can hear it. I just haven't caught it and I'm praying that God will let me catch it in my forties at some point. But, but I, I know wonderful preaching because I've heard it. I'm just waiting to hear it from my own voice and, and I feel like God, give me grace. He's, he's setting me up for that season of life. And, and it, so it's not just taught is my point. It, it no. isn't just something that I have been privileged to learn in the academy. It really is caught. It's sitting under it mm-hmm. and, and, and grabbing hold of it in that regard. I hope I answered your question.
0: Oh, did you uh, with spades? Thank you. Uh, um, amazing. Um, and uh If you haven't caught it yet, brother, I can't wait
1: till you catch it. (laughs) Oh, man, pray with me too. Yes, sir.
0: (laughs) So, uh, Charlie... uh Talk to me about uh, this book um, yeah. that you're doing with IVP. Yeah. I, I uh, Give us an update on it. Where Where is yeah. it in the process? Yep. I mean, COVID comes and constrains, and I understand. Are yeah. you writing it? Have you submitted it? Are they pub- producing yeah. it? Yeah, no, where this is great.
1: So COVID has been a blessing. I've been able to redeem the time in some respects in this regard. I'm about halfway through it. It's a six-chapter book. I've, I've written three and submitted those three and we've got edits to do but I'm just really going to try to plow through the next three through the winter and then go back and, and make the edits but it's called what Hath justice to do with righteousness mm. and it was due in March this is why I say COVID <laughs> was a blessing yeah. Yeah. but with regular pastoral ministry and life oh. happening and all of that kind of stuff man it just it slammed me um but it is a book that it that begins by exploring what is a what is a truer Christian worldview? You, you hear people talk about worldview, a Christian worldview, this, that, and the other. And some of the popular voices of that in our country really, in my opinion, have more of just a white Western view of Christianity and the way the world ought to be. And so I try to reframe that, maybe even from the lens of a black woman on the South side of Chicago, that, that we can get closer to the ethics of the gospel by stepping out of majority culture in in one sense, to read the scriptures from the lens of people who've been marginalized and who have been considered the least and the left out. Hmm. Then it turns to uh, an exploration of the etymology of the words justice and righteousness in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I've been shocked by this. I knew it a bit more from the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, those words, mishpat and tzedakah, Mm -hmm. actually function in a kingly context. Mm -hmm. The people of God in the Old Testament are in search of a king who will rule justly. And they flourish, they rejoice when they get that. And it's all in the language of righteousness. When Solomon composes these proverbs or or at least pulls them together, over and again, justice and righteousness occur as these kind of twin towers there. They go together. You can tell that a person or a king is, is righteous by their execution of justice. And what did just a rich picture so much so until Isaiah picks up his pen in chapter nine. And I grew up learning for unto us, a child is born unto us, yep. a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, Prince of peace. Well, you drop down about another verse or so. And it says, and, and his throne will be established in justice. Yes. His, his reign will be one of righteousness as expressed in justice. It's it's man. It's all there. Mm-hmm. So I call one of my old Testament scholar friends uh, at Wheaton and uh, we were, we went to Ted's together. He did his PhD before I did mine. And I, and I said, man, sit down with me and look at this. I said, why didn't they, why Why haven't you guys shown us the relationship between these words? And he says, you know, we've always known they were there, just didn't feel the context perhaps like you do to point it out. Wow. And, and so in the book, I try to show, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that these ideas are not to be separated, but in the mind of God, they go together. And then we move to two examples, uh, Martin King and Billy Graham, who in the 60s came to Chicago um, and other parts of the country. And I try to look at their ministries side by side as someone who had a more social justice awareness in in Martin King and, and someone who was forced to confront Social injustice in Billy Graham, and most people would say, "Oh, you know, Billy Graham's uh, theology is crisp and clean." And then you you look at his interaction with Nixon and with the Republican Party, and he's kind of flirting a little bit with politics. But but he is he becomes really concerned about missions and 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 global efforts with the gospel. But he was preaching to segregated audiences, and then to his credit. He took down the rope in Tennessee and takes a lot of flack for that and and actually becomes friends with, with Martin King, but never fully confronts the racism and the challenges that face Black people, although he's the world's most popular evangelist. You look at someone like Dr. King, who others would say, well, you know, he's not as conservative as a Billy Graham or he doesn't hold to some of these tenets, And you look at King's last sermon preached on Easter. The man believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus. You you say whatever you want to say about him. There are arguments to be made for the veracity of, of his theology, but he sure does seem to, according to the Old Testament, have some measure of righteousness in his theology, because he's pressing against injustice in the boldest way. And in that regard, this is going to sound strange and I'm not trying to offend nobody. King comes across as more prophetic because of his application of the gospel, not merely being vertical than does Billy Graham. And so I I want to make that as an appeal to the people who read this book to say, hey, it's not just a matter of us having evangelical theology per se, but the way we demonstrate that theology actually Mm. is the evidence that that theology possesses us. Yes. That yes. that we do not merely possess it. And mm. so from that point it turns into this whole social gospel thing. You know, I I've, I've been wanting to get my feet in that for a while. And that's where we are now. So I I've, I've got a little ways to go uh on it, but it's I mean it opens with a little bit of fire, man, and then the editors want me to keep that fire. They they think it wanes a little bit. So I mean, you know, how editors are. We're just going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're good for us yes right? they are they are they <laughs> are good for us so uh charlie um man i could talk to you all day i just oh, wish we had David. coffee and um but i'm i'm mindful um of uh things that you also need to do with your day do, do you have time for me to ask you one more question sure let's do it for you to, um, uh, leave us with one other thought, and maybe, if you would, a, a word of prayer by way of benediction. Yeah. So here's my here's my my last question: um, Would you reflect upon uh, the relationship of the church, perhaps even the black church, uh, with with the academy, and where you find yourself fitting into that sometimes fraught, um, always complex nexus? Um uh, I you' you're in a you're in a unique position to speak into that So I thought that folks would really enjoy your reflections on it.
1: Yeah, you know um let me say what I think the to answer your question, the relationship is I remember when I in my first week between summer school, I had to do summer Greek at Teds before I started the the MDF curriculum. So the first week or so before that first weekend in August, my children's pastor, who's gone home to be with the Lord. He, he was our children's pastor when I was growing up or the equivalent thereof. He said, you know, Charlie, we're not, he said, we're sending you to seminary because you already know how to preach. Hmm. This was really striking to me. I mean, I'm, I'm 21. He said, we're not sending you there to learn how to preach. We're we're sending you there because you already know how, but we want you to get, the rebar in the concrete. So we want you to get all of the the other things that will make your ministry steady and sturdy Hmm. as it goes along. Hmm. And and he said to me, don't let them take from you what God has already given to you.
0: Hmm.
1: Those words stuck with me because for many um, at the time I went to seminary within our context, they would call seminary the cemetery they they saw people leave with less fire so to speak than when they went in so that caution he gave me was was very helpful i the more conservative sides of the christian academy have not been very friendly historically to black and brown people churches and pastors mm-hmm. so we just by and large um had our own wonderful HBCUs and, right. and then had a kind of training ground within the local church. So the average scholar pastor who went through the academy was actually more trained by another pastor, very likely. So, so that's that. Now, now the ground has changed. Yeah. I am uh, by the grace of God, a, a PhD professor, author, but my primary role is I'm a senior pastor of a Black church. So there are these doors that open to me to go into multi-ethnic context or go into non-Black context. And, and my wife and I just felt like we, I'm called, we're called to this context. And, and now I see the benefit of having the academic training that I do and the call to serve the church in the way that I do. I'm able to hopefully inspire some others uh, who are coming up to say you can be the nexus that that helps to shape the curriculum in the academy or at least before a professor will mouth off piety pieties about uh the way black church does things or their church they have to pause and think no you know we know that guy or we know that sister or and and that whole rubric has to be reconsidered um and I, and I think that part of our work at TEDS has been that way, that Trinity is, is more aware now of its cultural blind spots because some of us came through there. And, and now that benefits who they hire, that benefits their thinking in terms of who they hire, curriculum and all of that. So I see a reflexive benefit. I certainly think it helps my church. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, Dr. Todd, to preach in a way every week that appeals across five generations, but grabs people who are trained in the academy and then people who ain't never smelled the hallway in the academy. Mm. And and so we may not have like the biggest church in Chicago and and all of that kind of stuff. But I think people sense that the gospel has Mm. some strong credibility beyond grandma's testimony
0: Mm. and that
1: the scripture is reliable like Grandma told us, it was, yeah. uh, but but with some other nuances there. And so I I feel like the benefit is reflexive. I'm I'm able to give uh, to our church that which I am learning and have learned, and our church is able to give to the academy that which we are, and it reframes and reshapes the curriculum and hopefully the professorate.
0: Mm that uh synchronism uh that Mm. um uh, mutually reinforcing relationship is is ideal isn't it
1: yes yes because one can't shouldn't go without the other i think this is one of the concerns i have with the way that people either give or don't give to seminaries the the church still needs the academy in my opinion and god knows the academy shouldn't exist without the church
0: Right. I mean, up by, and for the church. I mean, that's yeah. why seminaries exist. Um, yeah. I'm grateful for uh, not only your uh, ongoing ministry at Progressive, but also for your ongoing engagement in the academy, Charlie, um, as uh, this book is going to be a great grace and gift to us. So, uh, bring us home, brother. Uh, what wh- what word have you heard that you care to share? And then uh, a word of uh, of blessing. Uh, we're all looking forward to listening to your sermon uh, oh, in my. the MPC. So mm-hmm. I, I I can't wait to to access it. Um, but <laughs> um, please just. Please just share whatever you would, Charlie, sure. as, we, as we wrap up.
1: So I sent Dr. Gregory two sermons. Uh, the first one, in my opinion, was too hard hitting. He didn't think it was. So I said, no, nah, man, we can't we can't go out with that. So we we sent another. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see which one landed there. <laughs> okay. so, I, so I'll be looking for that link, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I
1: okay. sense um, that. Trouble doesn't last always. In terms of an encouraging word, that that mercy is going to triumph even over this pandemic. Mm-hmm. That somehow, some way, God's going to get us through this and out of it. And it, we don't have to be in a rush. I think the end is closer, but it's the accomplishment of maturity and the giving of a reward and a gift that God gives to people who endure that we should look forward to. Our churches hopefully will be better. Our preaching will be better. People hopefully will take life more seriously and will consider it more of a precious gift coming through this. And so that's a word of encouragement that I that I'd give. And I think that's part of the sermon too that um, that will be preached for the Baylor conference today. Uh, so I, I'm encouraged, man. The, we we've taken some hits. We have, but. God's going to bring us through this and we're going to have a testimony on the the other side that that God brought us through a pandemic and he brought our institutions Mm -hmm. through a pandemic too. praise his holy name.
0: Amen. Glad we're on the same team, Charlie. Yes, sir. Well, brother, would you pray for
1: us? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your kindness and your great grace to us. We are helpless and hopeless without you, but we are more than conquerors Mm -hmm. through you. And so give, I pray, those who are watching this conversation today, power to keep on going. Bless them with the, your abundant grace and with your marvelous mercy. Thank you for Dean Todd. I pray that you will give him the wisdom and the insight he needs to steer Truid Seminary in the direction in which it should go. And I pray, Lord God, that for those who are on the margins, who are praying about what they should pursue in terms of Academic training for the church and whatnot, that you would give them wisdom about where to go and how to do it. But above all, make us one. Mm. Help us to love each other, to carry out the witness of the gospel in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Can't wait to see you in person, Charlie. Thank you for your time.
1: Bless you, brother. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to seeing you guys too.
0: Thank you. Grace. Right. Bye.